Blog Talk Radio. information as always folks the number if you'd like to call in 714-364-4721 our email address folks and keep them coming puregoldpg at yahoo.com our facebook puregoldpg our twitter puregoldpg our youtube channel puregoldpg and as always jv and myself we write articles for sportsrangers.com dg did you have a good weekend I did actually had a, had quite a good weekend. I actually had a good week too uh, so far, considering that uh, I didn't work today, and there's a possibility, considering the weather, that I will not be working tomorrow either. Oh, then you are having a good week as long as you're getting paid, of course. Oh, of course, of course, that's the important thing. <laughs> well, folks, last week we really spent most of our two shows basically talking about sports entertainment. We had Kevin Knight on uh, Tuesday night, and then Thursday we had Pyro Falcon of Online Onslaught. This week we're going to. Uh, you know, turn our attention towards sports, uh, primarily some football tonight, DG, and then Thursday we have a huge guest from WFAN. But tonight, DG, tell us what we got lined up. Folks, we have with us, who's waiting on the air, to be uh, waiting to be introduced, we have with us former New York Giant, former Indianapolis Colt. We have with us the one and only Mr. Keith Elias. Keith, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, David. How are you? Doing great, sir. Doing great. I also have my uh, my tag team partner, JB, here on the line. How are you, Mr. Elias? I'm doing great. Good. Uh, we've got some questions for you. If uh, Can we get right into it, sir? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, Keith, you, you are from New Jersey and went to Princeton University. Um, when you got drafted by the New York Giants, also being here, obviously, in New Jersey. What was that like when you found out that you'd be playing pro football in your home state? You know, it was, uh, needless to say, it was kind of a unique experience getting to play high school, college, and pro football all in the same state. And, um, you know, and that that just added to it, not just playing in the NFL, but playing in in the NFL where my parents, my brothers, my friends uh, could watch me on a regular basis. And, um that was just, um, you know, sort of added to the sort of dream come true reality that I was about to walk into. Um, who actually, uh, do you remember who actually uh, made that phone call to you at uh, to your house, or were you already uh, were you in New York when you were called to be drafted by the New York Giants? Well, actually, I was uh, I was a free agent 
And um, so my it was right after the draft, before actually before really the draft was over, um, several teams had contacted me about um, you know signing a contract with them. I think six different teams. And sort of my uh, my agent and I weighed weighed it out and decided to uh, to go with the Giants. Cool. Uh, what was it actually like playing for the New York Giants, uh, being that you're from New Jersey? Uh, excuse me. What was it like to actually play for the New York Giants, being that you are, you know, a local town um, professional? Yeah, like I said, it was you know it, it sort of added to that you know the the dream of playing in the NFL. By playing for the Giants, it sort of added to that. So it was uh, it was neat. Cool. Did you feel any pressure uh, from family and friends being so close to home? You know, it's it's an interesting question. I think um, probably a little bit. Like I was probably less re- less relaxed than I was when I went to Indianapolis, um, just because you you know you you want to do well not just for you, but for all those people who believe in you and um, have supported you all these years and I think in the beginning of career there's also that certain uh, you know anxiety about having be, become, being so close to this thing you've worked for for all your life I mean be, having it be right there and if you didn't get it the the fall would have felt very severe and um, you know and especially in the beginning of your career when you're trying to figure everything out and, and trying to make a team you know Right. Did um did a lot of family and friends uh hit you up for a lot of tickets throughout your career at Giants team? You know, I would I wouldn't say a lot. I would say, you know, sort of the appropriate amount. And the truth is, um I found like a, some of my friends that maybe didn't feel like I think some people actually never asked me for tickets and stuff because they didn't want to be those people like the people who really loved me uh right. didn't want to ask me for anything. <laughs> And uh, so it was kind of strange. Cool. Well, let, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, since you, since in your career, you know, I was doing a little research, you you played with guys like Rodney, you know, I'm a big Giants fan, so you played with guys like Rodney Hampton, Dave Meggett, and then in, in Indianapolis you played with, guys, you know, guys like Edron James and uh, Hall of Famer Marshall Falk and, of course, a future Hall of Famer Peyton Manning at the very beginning of his career. What was it like playing with such talented people and what did you learn from them? Yeah, uh, it's amazing. Amazing. I mean, I'll, you, I'll throw a couple more people um, in there, like Herschel Walker, playing with him. Uh, just being around Herschel was an inspiration, too. Um, just, you know, him as a person. Um, and then, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, even even playing with a guy like Cornelius Bennett in Indianapolis and seeing that man is, is you know, that was really crazy things. And, of course, they don't get better than Marshall Falk. I mean, he can, yeah, yeah. To say here's somebody who's you know like you're saying a Hall of Famer, and I think he's still underrated. So I think he is an underrated player. He brought so much to the table, not just as a runner or a receiver, but his knowledge of the game, his ability to stay step in step with uh, with Peyton and the changes that Peyton wanted to make. Um, you know, and, and Rodney was the workhorse for New York, so it was great to be around guys who were not just good players but great people as well. Yeah, you played around some you played around some excellent players. What did you think of Peyton, considering that I mean I know you didn't spend a lot of time with him per se, but did you think that he would be as good as he is now you know, from just seeing him and practicing with him and whatnot? Actually the truth is I did. Like um having played a lot of football <laughs> my life, 
I I knew that the minute I caught my first pass from Peyton Manning in practice, um, the way it was like an option route, and I could have gone in or out, and it's very rare when you go in, and and I was like, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to break in toward the safety because there's no safety there, but the quarterback, I mean, he's a rookie, he's not going to know what I'm about to do, and I just yeah. figured I'm just going to do it because it's right. And I did it, and not only well, as soon as I turned, the ball was right there. So that means he read it, he knew I was going to do it, and he threw the ball before I even thought about moving there. And I just like this guy's on another level, and um, I just knew right then that his grasp of the game, his understanding of what he could do, and his leadership of ability, his character—he had everything, all the essentials, you know. And and just to give Bill Polian props for drafting him, because think about it at the time. It could have been Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf, and you know yeah. that was those were the two guys coming out. And it's easy to say now, oh, of course you're going to draft Peyton, but let me tell you, that was a pick'em. And and Polian, a lot of people thought he, he should have drafted Ryan Leaf, and uh, people forget that. They're quick to forget that. That might be the that might be the one time all time best decision by a GM ever. Wow, you know it's amazing too because you talk about Ryan Leaf and what a bust he was, and then. It just shows you in professional sports, but especially in football, one bad draft can mess up your team for years, or in the case of the Colts, one good draft, that one pick can really stamp you as a as an you know, amazing franchise and the Colts have had a quite a run under Tony Dungy and, you know, now switching switching gears to a new you know, a new coach. It's just been amazing and you know, it's interesting to see because usually when you ask people questions like that, they would say, Well, no, I didn't know but you just got into it, like, Yeah, I knew it, I saw it, you know, there he was, Peyton Manning, you know, on another level. That's right. And uh, let me ask you one more question on the whole teammate thing. If you had to pick one favorite teammate, if you could, I know you had mentioned earlier, but who would that be? A favorite teammate? Yeah, would it be, would it be Mar- uh, not Marshall? Uh, you mentioned Herschel Walker, learning so much from him. Well, I mean, you're talking about – now, you mean as a football player? Like, if I could draft, like, one player to be on my team or as, like, a guy to hang out with? Well, both of them, actually. As you mentioned, if you could draft one guy and then if you – hanging out with somebody. Well, I think I think that – it goes without question that, uh, you know, Peyton Manning is, is the guy. You know, you don't get to play with a lot of guys that are like him. Although, I will say – you know, playing with Cornelius Bennett at the end of his career, I can't imagine what he was like in his prime with Buffalo. Um, I just missed playing with Lawrence Taylor and, and just had a one, like, sort of training camp with Phil Simms. You know, these guys who are legends. And, um, you yeah. know, but board of experience, I'd have to say, you know, Peyton followed up by Marshall. Like, they're just unbelievable players. Um, and then off the field, men, there's just so many guys that I love hanging out with and still love hanging out with. Uh, guys I used to hang out with, like Chad Coda and Scott Green and, and Peyton and Chad Bradsky was Chad Bradsky was like one of my best friends for like six years. And uh, I still hang out with Amani Toomer today and um and he's always a lot oh, of wow, fun. Oh wow, I love Amani. Huh? Yeah, he's uh no I said I love Amani. You know, he's a Giants all time leading receiver and he's just uh all, all seems like an all around good guy, you know. Yeah, and not to mention a lot of the retired guys like uh, Lee Roussan and, um, you know, Harry Flaherty and, you know, guys, Bruce Harper. They might have played on other teams, oh. but if you get to know them, um, you know, just in the course of life, like Dave Zott, and then, you know, you, you get to 
befriend some of these guys and, and, you know, some of them become a part of your life, you know? It's funny that you mentioned two guys who come to mind, Bruce Harper. I've met Bruce. You know, I've seen him a couple of times. He's he's hilarious. You know, the couple of interactions that I've had with him, um, he's just so funny. And then Dave Zahn. Dave Zahn actually went to my high school, Clifton High, so that was always like the uh, one thing. You know, we had one pro football player who went to Clifton High School, so that was always a big thing, you know, going going to high school back in the back in the 90s. I have a... Uh, I have another question for you. Um, you know, doing a lot of research and stuff for the interviews, I was checking out, you know, Wikipedia, looking up Keith Elias and everything, you know, for, for a while now. And it looks like uh, you set some Ivy League records. You were co-player of the year. You know, you led your team to a co-championship. You were also an All-American in high school. And then I looked at your pro career, and you had some – everything I read about you was great preseasons. You really just surpri- – not surprised, but you really did such an amazing job to the point where, you know, you were making teams because of, of how excellent – you know, you showed your skill on the field in preseason. But then, unfortunately, in the the regular season, it seems like your your career was derailed by injury, you know, whether it's year after year, basically. Do you feel – I don't know if this is the right word, but do you feel disappointed at all with your NFL career? Like, would, would you have been able to do more if you could have stayed healthy? I, I think it's a great question and probably one that people wouldn't want to ask because they wouldn't want to offend me or something like that. But – the, the, you know, yeah, the truth obviously is yes I don't want to offend you. I'm just, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know what? The, the truth is yes and no. And I think, you know, as you get older, you, you really, um, you, you you know, you look at it and you say, man, I played five seasons, and what a blessing, and what a platform. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I look at a guy like a, like a Tiki Barber and, like, the kind of career that he had, and do I say, man, I wish I – you know, were able to stay healthier, heck yeah, you know. But I have to tell you that my career was so blessed. And then to get – and then and then in the NFL, you're not going to get the ball a lot when you're in the backfield with Marshall Falk and then Edger and Jay. And so, you know, by the time I got to Indianapolis, I felt like I was a great football player. And – but I wasn't Marshall Falk. And on my best day and Marshall's worst day, he was better than I was. And so that that makes you feel good in a sense to say, you know, on this team, I don't deserve to play. He's better than I am. But if I had ended, like if you had flipped my career, if I started with the Colts and ended with the Giants, you know, by the time I had gotten to that level in my career, I definitely feel as if I would have been very successful probably shockingly successful to a lot of people, you know. And But so much of it is, is like you hit the nail on the head is staying healthy. So I know what I'm capable of and could have been capable of, but I'm also really content with what, you know, God allowed me to have in my career. And so, um, you know, I don't have any, like, wish or could have. Or every now and then I'll think about an injury I had at one point when I was starting for the Giants and, you know, and all of a sudden I tore my ankle to shreds and the next six weeks I couldn't play. And I think about that every now and then to think about what would have happened if I didn't get hurt because uh, Rodney had gotten hurt and I would have started for the next, like, four games. And what would that have made my career? But, you know, where I am now with my life, I know this is a really long answer to a really short question, but um, <laughs> I'm pretty content. Folks, we're talking to Keith Elias on Pure Gold. It's Tuesday night, February 1st. Keith, 
Let me ask you, from a player's perspective, um, there's this talk about next next year a potential lockout. You know, they're also talking about expanding the season potentially to 18 games, which would, you know, obviously uh, reduce the number of preseason games. Uh, the potential of more injuries is possible, obviously, because you'd be playing an 18-week season. Uh, hopefully, you know, their goal is to end this, to have the Super Bowl on President's Day weekend, so that people are off on Monday. What are your thoughts about everything that's going on in the world of the NFL nowadays with the potential lockout? Well, I think um, if you're going to expand the season to 18 games, the first thing is the players need to get paid two additional game checks. And people will say, well, they already have their salary. And you see how it works is with your salary, with your you're paid for your 16 games. And, you know, I think whatever they get paid biweekly, they should – get paid those two extra payments. The reason I believe this is because there's nothing in the world that can come close to the pace of an NFL football game and what you do to your body, the ravages of it. You know, it's like getting in a car accident every game. And preseason's not the same. The pace isn't the same. So if you're going to pay for two more games and the TV guys are going to get paid for two more games and the announcers are going to get paid for two more games and the refs and the stadiums, and Coke's going to sell more product, and everybody else is going to make money, the players should too. That's that's that. The second, but the biggest thing facing the NFL going into the future is as human beings, we've evolved, we, we've, uh, we've adapted to the point where, you know, our training regimen and our diet and nutrition, where we're, we're just physically at the pinnacle of human development. You know, in 50 years from now, I don't think you're going to see world records being broken in the Olympics. I think we're, we've we've reached where where we can get to um, now. I think we're in the pinnacle of what we can do, and because of that, the NFL guys are so big, so fast, and so strong they're killing each other. And you know the issues with concussions and the brutality of the game. Uh, it, 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 there's no way really around it. You know, I don't know how you you know the NFL is doing the best job they can to try to figure out how to subdue some of the violence. Um, the brutality of the game, but uh, you know, unless you're going to take away helmets and tell everybody to start playing two-hand touch, it's you know that, that's going to be the biggest thing going forward. And adding two more games, it's it's going to be another situation of just um, injuries and more hits and that sort of thing. So you would you would also agree with my opinion on the whole thing that if they're going to add the two extra games, they also need to uh, expand the rosters just in case because if guys are getting injured. You see all the injuries the Colts had this year. It was ridiculous. They hobbled into the playoffs on a 16-game schedule. Those two extra days, I mean, the entire team might have been injured. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be an issue. Yeah, I mean, Keith, I, I totally agree with you because um, if the if the owners, if the you know the broadcasters, like you said, and everybody else is going to make money, I think that obviously the players are going to want to get paid more too. So there's going to be. I think that the players, if you know, on the player side, I'd want to obviously uh, increase the salary cap so that they could get paid more money. I think, you know, I also think that they might want to think about having two bye weeks throughout the season to rest the players because, again, the people that are really getting like uh, the people that are at risk here are the NFL players, and I think by you know you could you could talk a good game if you're the owners and the fans want the 18 game season because you know you can never have enough football. Obviously, in my opinion as well. But you have to protect the players first. I think that's very important. Yeah, well, you know, this isn't just, uh, you know, sort of specific to football, but um, sort of in a globular way. In, 
in our nation, you know, we don't do things that just because they're right anymore. We do things to make money. And so if I can make money, even if it's not the right decision or the right thing, we as a culture do it. And so we've gotten to a point where we're going to see that the, the decisions that we're making because we worship money and our whole goal is more money, money, money instead of doing what's right, we're going to see, you know, fallout from that. And whether it's, you know, injuries to players or, you know, corporations dying or, you know, housing markets exploding, it's, you know, sort of that that if it's green, that's, that's what we're going for. And it's the same thing. This whole thing is motivated by more money. And, you know, the NFL has seen the seasons go from 14 games. Actually, like what? Jim Brown did 10 games to 14 games to 16 games. But I think we're at the limit. But, you know, other people are making this decision, not me. You know, Keith, good um, good segue here because we are talking about money, money, money. And uh, me and my partner, DG, <laughs> we do talk about sports, and we also talk about sports entertainment. So, Vince McMahon was the owner of the now defunct XFL. What was your time like in the XFL? You know, at that point, um, my body was really starting to tell me it was over. And, um, you know, I was just sort of told at the tail end of my career. And it was, uh, I was playing because I could still play, but um, I didn't even really make it through the whole season. In fact, I, I think I retired in the middle of the game. And, uh, oh, wow. Just like I was, my body was done. And then, so I spent the rest of the season that year with with, uh, with my team as the uh, special teams coach. So it was sort of a, you know, at the end for me. Right. L- looking, as a, as a, looking at it as a whole, do you think it had a good chance to succeed? And what do you think was the ultimate reason why it ended up failing? Um, I think it did succeed. I think it succeeded every um, expectation. It won its time slot TV-wise. It sold tickets. Um, So from that standpoint, it was very successful. Why it didn't succeed in terms of why it's still not here is because the NFL is the – they own the market. I mean, and you you don't go and pick a fight with a heavyweight champion you know, when you're just starting out. And I think if the XFL had uh, tried to align itself with the NFL and, and, you know, they had teams in each of the big markets, and to use it, what the NFL eventually tried to do with the World League or with the arena is almost like as a farm system, you know, where it's just, listen, the NFL is too small of a league to encompass all the great football players in our country. That's why you're always going to have a story of a Kurt Warner, a guy's bag of groceries, and then goes and becomes Super Bowl MVP. Because yeah, there, are yeah. more, there are better players, there are enough better players in America today, or enough great players, I should say, that there's there's diamonds in the rough everywhere. I mean, we just there's only 30 teams. And so, you know, there's always going to be a place for another league. But you can't come in and try to compete with the NFL you have to come in and work with the NFL and try to benefit the NFL. So like I said, if Vince McMahon had said, all right, we're going to be farm teams for you and you'll get NFL support and NFL money and the XFL would still be here. Yeah, I don't think that Vince's ego would allow for that to uh, to be the case considering that 
you know, Joe and I are big uh, wrestling fans, and we talk about that all the time. That's one thing that has always kind of gotten in the way. And I remember watching the NFL. They had the wrestling announcers and everything, so it kind of ended up being uh, WWE on, on the gridiron. But you're right. If they had done things a little bit differently, it definitely could have succeeded because ultimately arena football has been around for years, and you have the teams and you have, you know, leagues all over the place. The USFL, you know, was around and, you know, ultimately that that's what it boils down to is just the NFL is the top dog and anything else competing with it's not going to work. But, um, you know, I wanted to ask you one more football question and then get into something else. Um, considering your time with uh, with the Giants and the Colts and, you know, you spent a couple more years here, what would you say was a more enjoyable experience or would you say that it was, you know, across the board being on both teams was just an, was just an awesome experience? Being on both teams was an awesome experience, but they were they were different. You know, um, playing for the Colts' offense was unbelievable. Um, you know, like I said, playing and playing just for that that whole offense, that whole scheme. Um, you know, great, 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 a lot of fun. Um, playing in New York and playing for the Maris, I mean, playing for the Giants organization was a joy. You, know, you didn't feel like you were part of a corporation. You you know, or a team, you felt like you were part of a family. You felt like you had stepped into, um, you know, like, like yeah, you, were, you were playing for a family. And, you know, to this day, you know, I don't think the general fan knows how blessed uh, we are in this area to have an organization uh, that is just um, so family-oriented, so community-minded. Um, they're the real deal. And they're just awesome, incredible people. And I, I feel like I'm blessed to know that. So, so both teams different. I loved living in Indianapolis. It was different. It was good, good time for me to get some perspective on life. And so all the way around, I love, I love being in both places. Okay, that's definitely a good answer to the question. Moving on to some ministry, though, um, I, I read up on you. I know you're a born again Christian. And uh, let me ask you, what made you come to that decision in your life? What led you to the Lord? Well, I think uh, the NFL was, you know. The NFL is what made me a Christian because here you are at 22 years old and you have, you know, sort of everything the world ever told you you wanted or needed and, you know, all those things that are supposed to fulfill us. And, you know, and I had them all and, and it didn't work, right? Like none of it, none of it fulfilled. And, you know, it doesn't matter what that hole, you know, that you got this hole in your heart that you're trying to fill it with something, whether it's career, whether it's, a, you know, um, a girl, whether it's money, cars, you know, titles, whatever it is, and I had it all, you know, fame, fortune, money, popularity, girls, whatever you want to say, I had it, and it still wasn't enough. And um, and that's that's when I started asking the big questions, like what is life all about? And uh, I remember reading the uh, the Gospel of John, you know, the story of, of who Jesus is. And I read a lot of different things, and I, you know, and but just the power of the words and the power of his life, and I, and I started to pray, and I said, man, God, if you exist, show me. And then as he did, I said, Jesus, if you're it, if you're it, Jesus, show me. And I remember reading these things that Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. And I realized, you know, at that moment that I had the greatest lifestyle known to man, you know, but I didn't have life, not real life. And um, so that was it. I gave my life to him, and it's never been the same. You know, it's uh, it's amazing that you as a Christian can, you know, have the, the testimony that you have and what you went through because the, I always tell this to some of the kids because a lot of the youth, uh, I'm, I'm a youth minister in my church, and a lot of the kids 
love sports. They're big on sports. They like football. Most of them are Giants fans. And I always tell them, you know, just the fact that you can get onto a professional team, even if you're the last guy on that bench or whatever the case is, you're still better than like 90% of the world because you're a professional. You're getting paid for it. And to have that testimony that, you know, Keith Elias was a, was a pro football player, you played with two amazing organizations, you know, and you can talk to the youth about that because I know you do that as well. well. Tell us, what's that like to, uh, you know, to share your faith with young people and to share your faith with people in general all over the country? Yeah, it's, it's a neat platform to have to be able to talk about what is true and what is important and what life is really about. And, you know, life is really about, um, about you know, coming to a, a knowledge that there is a God in this universe who's desperately in love with you and that, that Jesus came and died so that we can have a, uh, not just have a relationship with God, but, but that we can spend eternity with God. And that's just, you know, awesome. And so life isn't about things, it's about people. It's about the capacity to love and be loved um, with the love that God has first put in us so we are to love the world. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's awesome, it's deep, it's powerful, and it's, it's a great way to spend a lifetime. Keith, last question for me, and I... Yeah, last question for me, Keith, and I do want to appreciate you for coming on to our show. And I feel that, you know, as important as, you know, your professional career is all the things that you do off of the field. Now, one of the things that you do is heroes and cool kids. Now, tell me how you got involved with that and what you're currently doing. Well, I got involved with it through Bruce Harper, you know, from the Jets, who said he had this program. It was a character education and anti-bullying program. We do it in many schools, 50 schools, and um, uh, of mine, uh, it's uh, Sorry, Keith, you're, you're, you're cutting out there. Can you repeat your last couple of sentences? You cut off for a second. Can I hear what you said? And getting to be able to Looks like, looks like we have a, a bad uh, bad cell reception. I, Keith seems to have cut out at least for the second. Um, Keith, you still there? No, actually, you know what, Keith? Uh, Keith's call dropped, folks. But uh, we'll wait for him to to call back on so he can uh, hop back on so he can finish the question. Um, you know, and of course, it was it, it's great to have uh, guests on the air. And you know, Pure Gold, we're always here to bring you the best in sports and sports entertainment. And of course. You know, wonderful interviews like the one that we're doing here with uh, with Keith Elias and the guests that we've had in the past with, uh, you know, Kevin Knight of the IWF who was here with us last week. We had Pyro Falcon from Online Onslaught with us uh, last Thursday. And then this Thursday we'll actually have uh, Mark Malusis from WFAN. And it's just such an honor and a privilege, JB, I have to admit, to have these uh, wonderful guests on the air. And, you know, we have uh, back on the line uh, Keith Elias. Let's uh, let's get him back on so we can we can hear his answer to that question. Sorry, Keith, you cut out. What were you saying? Yes, um, sorry, I don't know where. When, when did I cut out? What was, did I even answer at all? No, we, we uh, actually I didn't know, hear any. But, uh, sorry, Joe. Yeah, well, let me just re- let me just repeat the question, Keith. I was just saying that you know, basically, what you do on the field is, uh, I think, sometimes what we do off the field is more important, obviously. And you're involved with wow. heroes and cool kids. How'd you get involved, and what are you currently doing with that? Yeah, um, got involved with uh, through Bruce Harper from the Jets, who was telling me about you know this character education program that he has, and um, 
uh, we currently are in like 50 schools in, in New Jersey, over 50 schools. And, you know, I love being part of it. And I think one of the reasons is any time that you can um, go on to any level and breathe life into people of all ages, not just the high school students and the middle school students, but also, you know, the teachers and the faculty and the staff and help them do a job which can be thankless and help kids make better choices, choices that would lead to life. And um, then it's, you're doing a good thing. And, and you know, I think also for me it's an opportunity to build relationships with people. Like I said, um, you know, uh, life is about people. So that's it. Cool. Thank you, sir. Definitely definitely some good stuff. I know that Bruce is uh, heavily involved with that organization. And, uh, you know, with my, uh, my day job, we've, we've done a lot of work with Heroes and Cool Kids. Uh, Keith, before we let you go, can you give us a, a prediction on the Super Bowl? Who do you think is going to take it home this year? It's going to be really tough, tough to call. This one's uh, pretty evenly matched. Um, the Steelers have fought really hard to get here. Um, Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is great. I mean, I re- it's one of those ones where it's like a pick-up. You know, I'm just looking for having a great game. And, uh, you know, so I really don't I don't have to say it. <laughs> I just want to see it Hey, Keith, are you going to the game? Sounds like the... Keith, are you going to the game? No, I'm going to my brother's house. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that's definitely some good stuff there. Keith, we truly appreciate it. It was an honor to have you on with us. Uh, you know, it was a great interview. We really appreciate you taking the time out to, to call and, and talk with us and, you know, just share your, your testimony and share what, you know, what God has done in your life and also you know, what you've been able to impart into into the youth and, to, you know, the people out there. And, again, it, it was great having you on. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I'll uh, I'll come on. You know, we just, just had a lot of fun, so I just appreciate it. Thanks, Keith. Definitely, Keith. Thank you. you Have a good it. night. Folks, that was Keith Elias, former uh, NFL star with the New York Football Giants and the Indianapolis Colts, also a member of the, uh, the now defunct, unfortunately, the XFL, playing with the New York, New Jersey Hitmen. And, uh, again, folks, as, you know, it was just great, Keith, member of uh, Heroes and Cool Kids. Again, as I was saying earlier, um, before Keith, you know, when he dropped the call, we have Mark Malusis on Thursday. And, you know, we're just grateful, folks. Let me just uh, segue for a second, JB. I know that JB and myself are both very grateful to have all these wonderful men, you know, these wonderful athletes and performers and announcers and commentators just coming on the show because, you know what, this is this is what it's all about just talking about sports and talking about life and talking about our uh, our personal experiences and what we've been through. So, JB, you got any scores for us there? I'm pulling them up as we speak, but I think we should do some nuggets because there are some games in progress. I want to wait until summer final before we get into that. So, uh, like DG okay. said, um, we definitely have some you know great guests, and we definitely thank Keith Elias for coming on. Really brought some good perspective from being, you know, a professional athlete on the NFL side, but also does a lot of work off the field, so we do appreciate it. DG, any nuggets you got? Yes, sir. Um, I have quite a few, actually. My brother mentioned this to me. I spoke with him earlier, and he's always telling me, you know, to mention it on the show. Um, The Knicks recently hired former Denver Nuggets executive Mark Wakenshin, I believe, I was having problems pronouncing this earlier, but uh, he developed a close relationship with um, one Carmelo Anthony when he was there in Denver. He was also named the 2009 NBA Executive of the Year. JB, I need your perspective on this. This move has to be, 
has to be made for one reason and one reason only, to get Carmelo Anthony here to be a New York Knicks. I agree. I mean, Carmelo Anthony is going to be a Nick. I think, you know, the Nets dropped out of the race for him because, obviously, the Denver Nuggets wanted a little bit too much. But the Knicks aren't going to win this year. You know, they're building a good organization again. They have, you know, Mars Stoudemire there. They have a lot of young talent. I think if they wait out this year and they build upon this year and next year wait to sign him as a free agent instead of trading some talent, I think they'll really have a good year, uh, good team next year, and Carmelo will really complement Amar Stoudemire really well. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, uh, JB. That's actually a good point. You know, Anthony, I'm sorry, um, Mr. Mr. Stoudemire is going to be one of the starters for the uh, you know Eastern Conference uh, NBA All-Star game. And it's true, the Knicks aren't going to win it all this year, but you know what, I have to admit, and I know you do too, even though you're a Celtics fan, it's great to see the New York Knicks finally, after the Isaiah Thomas debacle and everything else, all the terrible years that they've had to finally be relevant again, it only helps the NBA. No, it definitely does. I mean, they're one of the big market teams, so you figure that they, they should be in contention every year. I mean, you have the Lakers and the Celtics, now the Miami Heat and um, the Orlando Magic, you know, some big teams, the San, San Antonio Spurs. But, it's, you know, it's always great to have the, the Knicks be a relevant team in the NBA. It just makes it for a fun NBA season as opposed to them, you know, being below 500 and never making the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. And to think about that team with uh, adding uh, Carmelo Anthony, if it happens, hopefully it will happen, you know, to uh, uh, Amari Stoudemire. I was going to call him Damien Stoudemire for a second. But to add him to Amari Stoudemire, imagine the, the East right there, JB, with the, the powerhouse Celtics, with the Magic, are an awesome team. Then you're talking about the Knicks and the Heat. That's just, that's just insane. You know, it, it really does not get any better than that. It really doesn't, but unfortunately, I'm going to tell it like it is. I think the Celtics are a win now team, and um, yeah. all the rest of the teams, all the rest of the teams could probably contend for the title for the next couple of years. But I think the Celtics are going to have to retool, obviously, because they have an aging team with you know Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. So they're more of a win now team. But you know, hopefully, they retool next year just like the Knicks will, and uh, we'll be able to contend because the East is a really strong division. You know, if those four teams. You know, every year, year in and year out, produce a good product. Yeah, definitely true, folks. Uh, moving on to some uh, New York Mets things, you know, going, going aside from basketball. JB, I have a couple of nuggets here on the Mets. Let me start out with what's probably the least significant and move upwards. The Mets promoted Wally Backman uh, to the, the new manager of the Binghamton Mets, their double-A team. They promoted him last week, but since we had our two guests and basically took up both shows, we weren't able to get into this. Um, honestly, JB, I think that what's going to happen here is that he's probably going to get promoted next year to, to AAA, and then that'll be the, only, the second and final year of uh, Terry Collins' contract with the Mets. He's doing, you know, 2011-2012. And then in 2013, Backman will be the manager of the Mets. What do you think, JB? Well, obviously they didn't think he was ready this year because, you know, he did interview for the, you know, the full-time, for the Mets spot this year and didn't get it. So I think they're sending him right on the right career path. You know, he's going to manage the double-A team now and then hopefully eventually manage the triple-A team with, you know, hopefully him gaining a lot of experience in the minors. And hopefully then, yes, um, I definitely think he'd be a good manager for the Mets. I just think right now there's so much going on with this Met organization on and off the field that, you know, it's a good thing that Wally Backman is not the manager right now, I feel. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of the on-the-field stuff, before we get to the off-the-field, folks, the Mets moves this offseason have been so lackluster, so just below board. 
it, it honestly makes you wonder how far back a first off finish. I honestly think they'd be, they're going to be in a heater race for last place. I was looking at uh, Daily News last week, and again, you know, this is a, I guess you could say old news, but I have to get into this. They signed Chin Long Hu as a backup infielder. I have never even heard of this man, not to mention that he's a 191 career hitter. He's only played 96 big league games. He's the first Taiwanese player in Mets history, and I believe that that's the real reason why they signed him. But when you look at the rest of the moves they made this offseason, it's like a, it's like the complete opposite of a who's who of good players. You have uh, Willie Harris and uh, Scott Harrison as backup outfielders. Ronnie Paulino as their backup catcher. And I like Josh Toley, but the fact is that uh, I'm not really sure he can hit that much. So to have Paulino and Toley doesn't exactly instill uh, fear in the opposite team or confidence in, you know, fans such as myself. Then you have back-end starters that are coming off injury, like the, the two Chris's, Chris Capiano and Chris Young. Young hasn't pitched a full season since 2007, and as a matter of fact, neither has Capuano. Um, he pitched in 24 games last year. He did not pitch at all in 2009 and 2008. So, yeah, these guys haven't been doing jack since 2007. That's amazing. It's awesome, folks. The amazing 2011 New York Mets, not to mention the wonderful signings of uh, DJ Carrasco, Tim Burdak, Taylor Buckholz, not Clay, folks, but Taylor Buckholz, and Taylor Tankersley, I haven't even heard of half these guys, filling out their lackluster rotation and their bullpen. That is, like I said, if that's not a team that that is going to compete for last place, I honestly don't know what it is. Any thoughts on that, JB? Well, it's almost like they conceded before the season started. They they saw what the Phillies did. You know, the Braves have a good young team again. And you're right. I think that they're complacent. They're going to be complacent for the next couple of years until they maybe get rid of some salary that, you know, some like, you know, I think Carlos Beltran won't be on the team after this year if not traded during the season. So I think that they're, they're I think that what their goal is to hopefully stockpile the talent in the farm system and then hopefully compete in maybe three to four years from now. But unfortunately being in New York City and, you know, the New York media, um, New York teams should never rebuild for three to four years. They should always be a competitive team year in, year out because, you catch a lot of slack from people like me and DG, uh, as well as the rest of the media. Don't you agree? Yeah, I actually, I, I completely agree. Um, it's a shame, as you know, both of us being lifelong Mets fans and you know, family and friends and everything. I mean, my family is strictly a Mets family. You cannot be a member of my family and, and be a Yankees fan. That's just forbidden. And uh, you know, my wife and I talk about that. We have kids that they don't have a choice. You know, frankly, when we have kids, they're Mets fans no matter what. If daddy has to suffer, the kids have to suffer too. But unfortunately, speaking of suffering, we're going to suffer this year. I honestly don't know who is even looking forward to this year. Maybe Evan Roberts, who's you know usually optimistic, and as a matter of fact, will be a guest on the show in a couple of weeks. Um, but I don't see how people can be optimistic about this season. And then, JB, getting into my, my final little Mets note here, um, you know, another news it looks like the Wolfpons are, are trying to sell off the part of the team. According to the reports that I've read, I've heard other ones, but they're looking at 20 to 25%, looking for about $200 million. Uh, Sterling Enterprise, which owns the Mets, made nearly $48 million, you know, close to 50, off of Bernie Madoff's infamous Ponzi scheme. They're being sued by Irving Picard, and, you know, on behalf of the victims of the scheme. JB, you know, there's a group that's looking to buy into the team. I'm not sure if this will ever get any traction, but they're looking at 50% or 51%. Uh, led of uh, you know led by Martin Luther King the third you know obviously the grandson of uh, the late Dr Martin Luther King and then you have former Met great 
Ed Cranepool, along with the son of Don Clendenin, another Met great, we have Don Clendenin Jr., um, they're looking to buy the, into the team and you know, get into all that with, uh, with the Wilpons finally admitting that the, even though they made money off the scheme, that's really what kind of hosed them because now people are looking to get money from them. You would think, JB, that only the $48 million that they made would have to be repaid, but I heard that there was uh, something in the fan today that I was listening to that they made uh, some money off of something else similar to this, and then they had to pay back like millions, millions of dollars when they only made it, you know, thousands. But, um, you know, the Mets are struggling big time, folks, and uh, according to what I read in the post today, they have the, the fifth largest payroll in major leagues, but they only attract the 12th most fans. I mean, who wants to go see the product they're putting out on the field, at least for this coming year? But, JB, uh, talk to us here. Are things as, as bleak as they seem for the New York Mets? I think they're even bleaker than what you just pictured because, let's just face it, they, uh, like I said, they have problems off the field and on the field. I mean, obviously they're looking, uh, they're being sued for an absurd amount of money, but this is the money that they, you know, probably made over the last couple of years. So obviously, you know, they want that money back. And, um, you know, as much as the Wilpons tell you that all this stuff that's happening off the field does not affect the team on the field. I think it's just a one big lie. And one thing you can't do to fans oh, is lie to them. One thing you can't do to fans is lie to them. And I feel like they've been lying to us for the last couple of years. Um, they're obviously not going after big free agents. Um, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about, you know, Albert Pujols would be a great pickup for the Mets. He could turn around the organization just like Mike Piazza did back in the 90s. So um, I think – uh, aside from signing a major star with an upswing, I think that the Mets are going to be mediocre for the next couple of years. And um, like I said, I, I don't appreciate the Wilpons lying to their fans. I, I don't know how anybody actually goes and spends money and goes to actual baseball games unless you're obviously wealthy and you know you have money to burn. And if you do, you can send money to me and DG at Pure Gold instead of spending it on the Mets. I mean, <laughs> it's just one big crap fest uh, to be a Mets fan these days, DG. <laughs> Well, JB, obviously, obviously, the Wilpons have been lying to us because all we've heard, you know, even from from guys on, uh, like Mike was saying, it's not going to affect them. He didn't think it would affect them, and you know, Mike usually knows knows his stuff. He's got inside sources on all the teams. But the fact of the matter is, it has affected them. You said the Mets haven't gone after the Mets haven't gone after anybody. They haven't gone after any even like remotely decent free agents. You know, all right, DJ Carrasco might be good or. Paulino might be decent, but, I mean, the rest of these guys are, uh, you know, what are they going to do? You know, they they just uh, they signed Pagan and Dickey arbitration deals. I mean, is Ari Dickey going to go out there and win the Cy Young this year? No. Is Johan Santana going to miraculously heal, you know, and be there for opening day? No. Is is my boy Mike Pelf, the big Pelf, is he going to be, you know, again, a Cy Young award contender? No, he's not. The Mets, we have nothing to look forward to, J.B., and it, it makes me mad that these guys are sitting there lying to our faces for all this time. And then all of a sudden, bam, they're in financial problems. They're trying to sell this part of the team. Obviously, what happened with Madoff affected the team. So are you going to sit there and lie to your fans when if we don't go to the games, Joe, no, first of all, nobody's going. And then we're the ones who need to be on their side. Yeah, we're not going to go and spend $200 million to buy into the team. But if we don't go to the games, ultimately, what does it matter, you know? Right, and and I'll be honest with you. I mean, in actuality, when when us as fans root for teams, um, we're, we're, we root for some players, but you know what, DG, players come and go. But in the end, we're actually yeah. rooting for a piece of we're we're actually rooting for a piece of fabric. We're 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 rooting yeah. for the 
the uniform, actually. And we're actually, in a way, we're rooting for the owner. And now that this owner has lied to me, lied to the Mets fans, I think it's time to, um, I think it's really time for them to sell the team because I don't think they're going to win anybody over anymore. And sell the team, get us a new owner. We deserve it. We're fans. We've been loyal fans for, for a long time, and I know there's more fans that have been loyal way longer than us. So, Will Pons, do us a favor, think it over, sell the team to somebody that really cares, that will really invest good money, get some good players, get a good product on the field, and just be done with it. I think it's time to cut ties, cut your losses, sell the team, Will Pons, sell the team. Yeah, definitely, and you know we're hoping that that'll be the case because the fact is that when the Mets were good, they got my boy Mike Piazza. Why? Because of Nelson Doubleday, who is no longer a part owner of this team. And I'm not trying to say it's the Wilpons. You know, I'm not going to sit here and rag on the Wilpons in terms of, you know, Freddie Coupon, what I've always heard my brother always tells me. You know, the, the Mets have spent money. There's no doubt they've spent money, but like you said, they're lying to their fan base. I, I don't even want to talk about this anymore. I'm sick of it. You know, we'll probably get into a little bit with Moose on Thursday, but, uh, you know, let's shift gears before I have a panic attack, JB. Um, something that I wanted to mention last week um, before we get into a little wrestling talk, I was looking at this on Yahoo. Don't understand it, JB. Marvel has decided to kill off Marvel Comics, that it has decided to kill off one of its iconic characters in one Johnny Storm, better known as the Human Torch. Uh, he's a charter member of the Fantastic Four. You know, he's been around since 1961 when the Fantastic Four first premiered. You know, considering how we were talking uh, two weeks ago about how Chris Evans portrayed him in the Fantastic Four movies, and now he's going to be portraying Captain America in the upcoming movie, um, you know, with Captain America, the first Avenger. I think it's interesting to note that Captain America was also killed off a few years back, and they brought him back. So maybe uh, Chris Evans is a death knell for these characters. But uh, <laughs> I have to admit, I hate when they decide to kill these guys off just for shock value. They did it with Superman in the 90s. Uh, they've killed Jean Grey of the X-Men more times than I can count. They even tried it with Batman, where the DC Universe thought he was dead for a while. JB, I think it's pure crap, and I don't understand why they decided to do this to, uh, you know, just kind of hold the fans. Well, you you hit on all the things that I was going to mention, is that they did it for shock value. They've done it to other characters, and I think that, you know, there's no other reason to do it besides for shock value, because you know that they'll kill off the Human Torch. Four years from now, Human Torch will somehow be reincarnated or somehow really didn't die, and, you know, Marvel will have made their money because, you know, people love to hear when they're going to kill off a character, they want to buy those comic books because they feel it's going to be yeah. worth money. They feel like it's going to yeah, be worth yeah, money, obviously. So, you know, yeah. we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. But I, I just think, like you said, it's all about shock value with uh, Marvel Comics. Do you remember when they killed off Superman, how big that was? That was all over the news. Heck, when, these, when Batman changes his costume and drops out one color, it's all over the daily news. It's all over Yahoo. It's all over the place. I remember killing off Superman. That was that was just so huge, and everybody was going nuts about that. You remember that, Jamie? Oh, believe it or not, that's one of the one of the few times that I actually went out and bought a comic book. <laughs> that does not surprise me, folks. You heard it here first on uh, Pure Gold. JB scumming it up with the Superman death issue, hoping that he would make some money and be Thank able you. to uh, you know retire and do what he's got to do, folks. Um, moving on to some wrestling, there's a couple of notes here before we get into a couple of things on Raw. Uh, Sonny, uh, Tammy Lynn Sitch, has denied rumors that she would be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, she's going to be in Atlanta for some sort of a Ring of Honor appearances on WrestleMania weekend, but not at the actual event. There's also some speculation that Abdullah the Butcher and Bullet Bob Armstrong 
are being considered for the Hall. Abdullah is probably what I would call the precursor to the craziness we saw in ECW in terms of the over-the-top violence. You know, he's about 185 years old, still going on the independent circuit, still blading. That's probably uh, the wrestler, uh, you know, unhinged, as we talked about last week with Kevin Knight. And uh, Bob Armstrong is actually the father of former WWE superstar and DX member, the road dog, Jesse James. Uh, JB, any, any thoughts on that? About the uh, about Sonny getting to the Hall of Fame, or just uh, what in particular? Yeah, yeah, you know, general. Well, I, I think Sonny is not the, you know, she wasn't the pioneer for women, you know, women in wrestling, but she was definitely one of the first divas, at least. And um, I think yeah. for that, she should definitely be inducted into the Hall of Fame, if not this year, maybe next year. But um, what, don't you agree that she's one of the first divas, quote unquote? Yeah, she's she's probably the first modern day diva. Obviously, in terms of Women's wrestling, you have uh, Sensational Sherry and, of course, the fabulous Moolah who wrestled for a thousand years and, uh, you know, wrestled with dinosaurs in the prehistoric age, and she's in the Hall of Fame, obviously. Um, you know, she was, a, she was a legend, held the Women's Championship for, like, 35 years or something like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I could see a case being made for Sonny, and uh, I thought the Bob Armstrong thing was interesting considering that uh, his son, all of his sons have actually been wrestling in some way, shape, or form. Speaking of the whole Hall of Fame, there's some talk on the internet that the WWE is looking to induct the one only People's Champ, The Rock, and also Trish Stratus next year at WrestleMania 28, which is supposedly taking place in Toronto. First of all, I didn't even know it was confirmed that they're going to be in Toronto, but you know this would be interesting considering Trish is obviously from Toronto, and it would be it would be the 10 year anniversary of the famous Rock versus Hulk Hogan match that took place at WrestleMania 18 in Toronto. Any thoughts on that, JB? Uh, both no-brainers, obviously, Chris Stratus and the great one, The Rock. I just, I, I, sometimes I wonder how the WWE decides who gets inducted because I thought if there'd be a progression, like, you know, you, you induct the people from the 70s first, the 80s, and then you eventually get to the 90s, but it seems like they're all over the map with this Hall of Fame stuff now. Um, a la yeah. Coco Beware. So, uh, oh, please, don't even get into that, but you're right because they are all over the place. Austin got inducted a couple years ago, I think in 09, and then you're going to induct The Rock three years later? That doesn't even make sense, first of all. I understand why you don't induct in the same year, but it should have been back-to-back and a belly-to-belly. The Rock is obviously no-brainer. I actually read an article with uh, The Rock stating that he's never going to come back to wrestle, but he hasn't forgotten, the, you know, contrary to what we may think, he hasn't forgotten his roots in the WWE, and he definitely has plans to appear on WWE TV sooner than any of us think. I don't know if he's talking about next year at WrestleMania or whatever, but that he wants to do something electrifying and exciting for the fans. And he's been talking to Vince. He talks to Vince all the time. So that's kind of encouraging. I mean, all right, maybe he's not going to wrestle, but who knows, maybe he'll come out and rock bottom a couple of superstars and give the people's elbow to, uh, you know, the whole roster. And I don't know. Who knows what will happen there. But uh, there's also some reports, folks, that Sting, another great all-time legend, no-brainer, if there was a legit Hall of Fame, that the WWE has made him a high-priority to sign. As a matter of fact, the Daily News reported that he had signed, but that hasn't been confirmed. JB, break it down on that one. Well, you know, Sting, Steve Borden, as we uh, smart fans know him, is definitely one of the icons of WCW. Um, you know, obviously went through a character change when, you know, the Raw and Nitro feud started. So uh, Sting is an all-time great um, the signing would be no just doubt. merely to probably, the signing would probably merely just be a way to induct him to the Hall of Fame because I really don't yeah. see him, you know, having a wrestling career with the WWE. I think he's 
he's pretty much at the end of his wrestling career. But to get him into the Hall of Fame, again, if that's what the intention of Vince McMahon is, to make it a pro wrestling Hall of Fame and not just a WWE Hall of Fame, I totally agree with the signing, and I hope it's true. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, uh, you know, that'll be the case. Uh, moving on to a couple of notes from Raw last night. We're going to get into the Royal Rumble, but not tonight so much, folks, because we have uh, Pyro, who's going to be joining us for a regular spot uh, next uh, on Thursday. He'll be joining us for well, On Fire with Pyro, and he'll talk to us about his thoughts on the Royal Rumble, and we'll get into that. But uh, Alberto Del Rio won the 2011 Royal Rumble. It was actually a really good one, folks. I have to admit the pay-per-view was, uh, was one of the best WWE pay-per-views I've seen in a long time. Uh, last night, he chose to face Edge for the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, I know that you were going nuts with <laughs> talking to me about that earlier, JB, that you didn't like the the way that he chose. It was basically for no reason. But uh, what do you think about Del Rio facing Edge at WrestleMania? I mean, I, I like I like it because, obviously, it's heel versus face. I think it's way too yeah. predictable that, that Del Rio is now on the path to become the World Heavyweight Champion. I don't like when wrestling becomes so predictable. Like, I, I think you pretty much bank on the fact that Del Rio is going to beat Edge for the World Heavyweight title at WrestleMania. Yeah, definitely. The only thing, I, the other thing I really didn't like is the fact, and I, I hopped on it today at a production meeting, was that um, I, I don't like the fact that he drew number 38 and really didn't do anything to win the Royal Rumble. I mean, like, you know, he came in at 38, and yeah. I know other wrestlers in the past have come in late in the game, but, you know, for me, if if I want to build this guy up, I, I put him entering the Royal Rumble around, like, number 15 or number 16, and let him earn his way to the WrestleMania, especially being a rookie. I think he's got to earn his way, and I yeah. just didn't like the fact that he was number 38. No, I totally think, I actually think he was number 39, but I'd have to double-check that. I totally agree with you on that note, because, you know, the classic performances, uh, like uh, Chris Benoit or... Ray Mysterio, Shawn Michaels, the first time he won the, the Royal Rumble, you know, Ric Flair, even when he won the title, those are performances you always remember because these guys were in there from, you know, beginning to end or, you know, in those cases, but for the most part, they were there for the majority of the of the pay-per-view. And that, to me, is what makes it interesting. I totally agree. Throwing a guy in there at the end, he wins, throws two guys out, bam. That, that sucks. And not for anything, but that really doesn't push him. He's a new guy, like you said. They should have had to have a long, drawn-out, you know, 20 last, outlast 30 other guys or whatever, and really just uh, just get it done, you know, break it down, as it were. But uh, the fact of the matter is, you know what? He won the title. Uh, he well, Sorry, he won the title shot. We'll see where that goes, and I agree with you. It's too predictable. But our final note for the evening, we have uh, Mr. Jerry Lawler, the king, won the mini-rumble at the end of the night. Uh, to get a one-on-one pay-per-view title shot at the Elimination Chamber against The Miz. This basically makes the Raw Elimination Chamber match a number one contenders match. Should be interesting to see who wins this one, folks, and Jerry just might get his lifelong dream of having a match at WrestleMania. If it doesn't happen now, it's never going to happen, J.D. Yep, I agree. I think it's a good thing that they're rewarding uh, Jerry Lawler, and uh, we'll see where that goes. I see we're up and pressed for time, so I just want to say, DJ, I had a great night. Pure Gold had a great night. Thanks again for Keith Elias, and looking forward to Thursday. Be safe tomorrow, folks. It's going to be dangerous out there. If you don't have to leave your house, don't leave your house. DG, take us home. Folks, as always, we uh, we appreciate your listening. Thursday, we're going to have Mark Malusis from WFAN joining us. We again thank Mr. Keith Elias for tonight. Next week, we are going to have uh, Mr. Anthony Tyler Quinn of Boy Meets World fame next Thursday for our February 10th show. Folks, as always... 
for JB. This is DG of Pure Gold wishing you a wonderful evening. Remember, folks, to always keep it PG. Good night, everyone.